Duke Energy offers these three tips for understanding your bill. The first step to keeping your bill in check is understanding what's on it. Here's what to look for. Check the number of days in your billing cycle. Most bills cover 30 days, but sometimes it varies. Bills that cover more days can be higher. Look at average kilowatt hour use per day. At first glance, your bill may look higher, but if your average use is similar to the same time last year or similar to another month with extreme temperatures, it's a normal bill. If you have a smart meter, check for a daily usage analysis tool online. Smart meters collect info by the hour, so you can check for spikes in energy use to see what appliances and behaviors are increasing your bill. This public service announcement is sponsored by Duke Energy. Duke Energy presents Connecting Counties with your host, Gus Piercy. A look at the economical, social, and educational decisions being made in Hendricks and surrounding counties and how they affect one another. And now your host, Gus Piercy. Thanks for joining us on Connecting Counties. I'm Gus Piercy, and my guest today is Mark DeLossi. He is the Vice President of Preservation Services with Indiana Landmarks, and we're going to talk about uh, landmarks from a historical perspective. Thanks for being here, Mark. Yeah, glad to be here. All right, well, let's start with uh, the obvious question. What is Indiana Landmarks? Well, Indiana Landmarks is the statewide historic preservation organization for the state of Indiana. And I'm pleased to say that we are one of the largest of our kind in the country. Um, We were founded in 1960 by a group of Indianapolis businessmen uh, led by Eli Lilly. And he recruited some good friends and fellow businessmen, um, including Herman Cranert, for example, oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. among others, to be a part of uh, an organization that would work to preserve historic structures. And so that remains at the core of our mission. Um, we do lots of other good things too, you know, education and grants and et cetera, et cetera. But you know, at the uh, core of our mission is is working to preserve Indiana's heritage and the stories that go with that. And that's in mostly in brick buildings, mostly in buildings. Yeah, I, I you know Homes. we yeah residences downtown commercial buildings uh, farm properties you know it's just a range of different bu- building types and resources bridges uh, train depots whatever the case may be uh, that we're working on that we have expressed interest from communities you know we're we don't often just go out and say, gee, there's that old building, we want to buy it or we want to uh, rehab that. We respond to Hoosiers that are reaching out to us and contacting us and say, hey, you know, our downtown movie theater is closed and might get torn down. What can you do to help us facilitate bringing it back and, and getting it reopened again? And Uh, Sometimes that means getting really creative in terms of thinking about how might a historic church be reused if it's not going to be a historic church anymore. What can we do with that? Mm -hmm. Um, And often that's not an easy thing if you need to come up with the funding to do a rehabilitation project. Um, Is that going to be through philanthropic 
uh, giving? Is it going to be through a developer who is going to identify private uh, financing through, mm-hmm. say, a bank or other sources, uh, historic tax credits, et cetera, that are going to make it happen? Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's a private entity? Yep. Okay. We, yes, we are a private uh, organization. Don't get Very, any tax dollars. We don't get tax dollars. Uh, we have a large financial endowment that both from the beginning Mr. Lilly contributed to and then other donors have since contributed to. We have about 6,300 members across the state who give dues and other contributions, donations that help support us. So, And then, of course, there's the project by project, you know, kind of driven that if we're doing a project in somebody's community and they want to support that and see it uh, restored uh, and brought back to uh, use, that they will contribute funds to us for those projects, too. And when you talk about the number of ways that you help the state preserve, um, there are, I mean, a dozen different ways. Just uh, as an example, we know each other because I met you at the Zionsville Residence, Village Residence Association, and they're getting ready to go on to a project where they're going to try to preserve the houses in the downtown village area. And they're doing uh, something special, right? They're doing, a, and they're doing it with your, uh, you're kind of like consultants on it. Is that correct? You're not actually heading up anything you're just there to to help guide them through this process where they're trying to turn it into a preservation district correct um you use the right term guide i think we're we're providing guidance to zionsville residents that uh particularly in the village area that are uh concerned about the uh preservation of the quality of life of the buildings in that area And so uh, they asked us about the tools that they might utilize to go about doing that. And so um, one of those ways that they can do that, which doesn't take any, uh, quite frankly, any financial uh, resources, Mm -hmm. is to do something through their local unit of government, the the city of Zionsville, and uh, they can pass what's called a preservation ordinance that would create a preservation commission, which is like a plan commission or a board of zoning appeals. It's just it deals exclusively with design review of what happens with buildings demolitions and new construction doesn't have to do with zoning or those kinds of issues. So if the town would pass such an ordinance, they would appoint a commission of usually anywhere from five to nine members. And then that commission would overview or excuse me, review changes to properties uh, on into the future within a certain defined area. So if that's the village and they put, you know, four street boundaries around that, with the properties within that area would then be subject to that review and protection. And just to make sure that we're not talking about the business district, we're only talking about the houses around that business district, which can be 
quite big, and those houses are older houses and smaller the houses than some of the other subdivisions in Zionsville. Right. So, um, and and like you said, you're just guiding them and telling them about some of these things that can be done. Um, what else is on uh, the landmarks uh, mind right now? What is uh, top of the chain, if you will? Well, I think one thing that affects a lot of Hoosiers all around the state is that uh, Indiana currently lacks, this is kind of a policy, wonky policy issue, but it's something that affects everybody, is that until a few years ago, Indiana had a uh, historic tax credit that people could apply for to fix up income-producing properties in communities across the state. Um, it was a 20% credit, so it would cover 20% of the cost of a rehab that somebody invested in. So if you put 100000 into fixing up your downtown commercial building, you mm-hmm. would get 20000 back from the state of in- Indiana, um, often incrementally, not necessarily all, all at once, once yeah. but you would get that money back. Uh, so when we get calls from people, which is probably the number one call we get at our office on a daily basis, which is, I have an old building. How do I pay for, you know, it's fixing its restoration or fixing it up? Um, you know, that was one tool we could certainly point people to to say, hey, this is a program that's available uh, to you. Well, the state of Indiana a few years ago did away with a number of uh, tax credit programs, including the state historic tax credit. So I think 35 states in the United States have that incentive for the restoration of downtown uh-huh. buildings. Sure. And uh, Indiana is lacking that now. <laughs> um, so we would love to have a conversation with the state legislature about uh, reestablishing that state credit because it creates jobs. It creates reinvestment in communities. Um, the state was only investing 250000 a year into this program, which, frankly, is Dropping woefully yeah. Yeah, inadequate. Um, as some state, I think Kentucky invests like twenty-five or $30 million every year into their state tax credit program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we were way behind the curve. And so when um, Indiana replaced that program, they put in place instead a grant program, which sounds great, you know, that we, it's now a grant program instead of a credit program. But um, what's happened over the two legislative cycles since they did that is that the funding has diminished Mm -hmm. considerably. And I think we suspected that, you know, with each passing legislative cycle that that might happen. Whereas a credit is something that they kind of are committed to and you don't have to, you know, put in a grant application to do it. Right. True. True. And, and so, okay, let's talk about buildings and saving a building. Like you mentioned an an old movie theater, for example. Um, why do we want to do that? Well, I think first of all, historic preservation is often seen as, you know, an embrace of the past. It's about nostalgia. It's about 
you know, I remember when I went there when I was, you know, 13 or yeah, whatever. Right. And, you know, we take the position that while some of us, myself included, come from a an educational background of history, we love history and that's what uh, why we have a passion for doing this kind of thing, that that's not exactly why we're in it. It's because of the future. Um, if we're going to have these places around for the next generation or the generation after that, if we're going to be able to have special places at the core of each of our communities that Europeans do, for example, um, then they have to get old. They have to be given the opportunity <laughs> to get there. And um, we're, you know, we as Americans, I think, have been for generations past wedded to this idea of progress and if we don't have continued growth and new construction and etc that somehow we're failing as a society and so I think that if we can put that same level of commitment and investment into our historic downtown areas mm -hmm. and historic neighborhoods that that surround the downtown areas um, that I think what we'll find is that um, our society will be richer as a result mm -hmm. of that, uh, that not only do we have touchstones of the past, but they also create interesting, exciting places to interact with on a daily basis. So if you want to go to a brew pub at the end of the workday and it's in a the slippery noodle uh -huh. because it's built in the 1850s in downtown Indianapolis, um, that that creates a memorable experience for you that you aren't just heading to the nearest strip center um, for something similar. So, uh, again, we're creating those unique experiences that I think are more memorable in our lives um, when, it, when it comes to the end. That, it, you know, when you went to um, New York City for a vacation, mm -hmm. where did you go visit? What were the places? Oftentimes, they're historic right. buildings. You go to the Empire State Building. You right. go to, you know, whatever. So um, I think we're just trying as a movement to create places that are significant in people's lives today and for the future. Success stories like Zion, downtown Zionsville, the, the village. Mm -hmm. Um I can think of another one, and I don't know if Indiana Landmarks had anything to do with it, but I just got done doing a story about the art craft in Franklin. Mm -hmm. We did. Um, <laughs> that is a huge success. It is. Right and, you there. know, the, the Franklin Heritage that took on that project when it was started had long been an advocate for preservation yeah. in Franklin. But that was just a watershed moment for them, I think, is not only as an organization, but you're right for downtown Franklin altogether. And, you know, it was kind of a nice downtown area, Courthouse Square, et cetera, as it was. But with that investment, it brought so many people downtown yeah, on a regular right. basis than it had been before that it then created... Uh, spin-off businesses like restaurants and yep. other shops that people came to experience. And um, so the art craft has been, I think they get something, it's almost kind of crazy. They get like three, anywhere from three to 500 people a night on the three to four nights that they yeah. operate each yeah. week. And, you know, that is amazing yeah. that they have that kind of 
um, economic impact on the downtown. So we just as an example, when Franklin Heritage got started on that project, they um, needed the money to a acquire the building and b do some immediate stabilization yeah work. let's just uh, recap uh, art craft is an old movie theater Correct. and uh, a classic movie theater and uh, it has uh, been restored to a classic movie theater and they play old movies um 10 years or older and they do attract and they have a lot of community events in there too and it's just off the square. Right, right. And so, but when they were, uh, you know, looking at that as a project to start off with, uh, the there was a structural beam that was in a state of failure and the building commissioner for Franklin was condemning the building. So we almost lost the art craft and they came to us and we gave them a loan that enabled them to purchase the building and, um, and stabilize that structural beam that then kind of got it off the condemn list in the city and then gave them the time that they needed to raise the money to um, restore the building to put it back into use, which that's been a years long process for them, but they were successful in paying back our loan and a few years after that and um, have been wildly successful in the 2002 area yeah yeah time, well around timeline. i think it was around 2003 okay yeah yeah, yeah. it was shortly after i started that i started working with them on that so yeah um yeah, yeah that's, that's another one great, good example yeah yep so is there ever a building that is beyond saving yeah Here, i mean here's what i here's what i wonder because i think this is a problem um, asbestos, mm. a lot of asbestos in these older buildings, and and it is quite expensive to um, remediate. Is that the term? Right, that they it is. Yep. Pull it out, right? Right. But the important thing to understand about asbestos and other challenges, lead, whatever the case may be, is that whether you're rehabbing the building or tearing it down, you still have to remediate. So in other words, you have to take the asbestos out of the building before you demolish it. You just can't like let it fly or lay on the ground. So um, they they have to go in and, and take all of it out anyway. So if you have to take it out to get rid of it, let's see if we can then save the building once the asbestos is out. Excellent. Um, but you know, to your question, there are always buildings that are, let's say terribly fire damaged or have been let sit for, you know, 50 years that have become structurally compromised and just can't be repaired or, um, you know, tornado damage or, you know, there's always situations where we say, well, okay, that one maybe is irreparable or the cost would be so, disproportionate to what its value is going to be mm-hmm. post rehab that we we're somewhat realistic about that what we don't want people to do is to immediately jump to the conclusion that demolition should be their first option um, that they should you know buildings are oftentimes people's a valuable asset um and it may not be a, a, a great looking asset sometimes if it's been allowed to deteriorate or people have made bad alterations and changes to it over time and it's diminished its 
original architecture. But, you know, those are the things that we spend our uh, daily waking hours trying to figure out how to undo those bad changes and take it back to its original, beautiful, historic appearance or... Uh, and then the, then the challenge becomes, well, how do we pay for that? Where do we find the money right. to do yeah, it? How exactly. do we, or how do we help a, a homeowner or a building owner figure out where to come up with the money to do it? So, you know, we're, we're just there to serve as a resource to people if that's something that they think that they're interested in or, um, you know, gee, how do we go about finding a new use for a building that's gone vacant? Um, you know, we are happy to come out and arrange for a meeting and sit down with them and start that conversation. And and what is that look like? What does that look like when people say, uh, I think Indiana Landmarks might be able to help us? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they call and what, what do we say? Well, I mean, the first thing is to meet, to have a conversation and, and determine what the facts are, you know, what is the condition of the building. Take a look at uh, it. Yeah, we often make a site visit and, and check out the conditions. Um, if we think that it's a building that's worthy of preservation and worthy of our time, then we will certainly tell that to the uh, owners and or or say city officials or whoever that's contacted us and uh, begin to develop a strategy. Very often the first step in that strategy is to determine conditions and to determine cost for rehabilitation or stabilization at the very least. And so if it's, if we're working with a local group or a local government, we'll often make a grant to them and then they can hire an architect or an engineer to come in and do a structural analysis or conditions assessment on a structure and say, gee, yeah, this is uh, uh, in poor condition or fair condition or good condition, and it's going to need these kinds of repairs, and that's going to cost this much money. And then we step back and go, okay, is that amount of money that has been determined realistic in terms of the building's preservation? Can we find those funds somewhere? Uh, or sometimes it's maybe there's just a $20,000 gap, say, between tearing it down and building new or rehabbing what's there. So can we help find that $20,000 to fill the gap and make doing keeping the building make sense, make economic sense? So um, there's a one-room schoolhouse in Fayette, are you aware of the Howard I School? I okay. worked very closely with the Howard School folks. So, okay. Yeah. So, um, and uh, that, from the pictures that I saw when they started that process, it was in horrible shape. So I, I guess my moral is, is that, you know, the idea, it's, it can look really bad and it can still be pretty well saved. Exactly. I mean, and now that's a one room schoolhouse that brings kids in and uh-huh. it's just a very popular place to have. I mean, it's so small, but I mean, it had pigs in it. I mean, right. Right. You know, I mean, it was, it was, and, it was part of that farm operation and yeah. the man generously donated the uh, parcel of property with the school on it to that group uh, that yes I helped that group from the virtually from the beginning I remember when it didn't have a roof and it was basically just the four walls that were standing uh, that was left that building had not been used as a school since 1916 oh wow Um, so if you think that it was you know the I don't know, mid 2000s when they got started on that project. Yeah, right. Um, 
it had been vacant for a long time. And what was fascinating, what I loved was at the dedication when they were done and ready to open it to the public for viewing, uh, there was a lady at the dedication ceremony who I believe was the last living student who had gone to school there. So I think she was like 104. I mean, it was great. And she had some, she was sharp as a tack and had some great stories. Um, But she had been, I think went to school there like three years or something. And then they had built a new school, um, you know, in 1916 was the consolidation act that the state passed that did all the school consolidation under the township right so the little one-room schools were all vacated and everybody went to the consolidated school so she said they had been transferred over there but um but yeah that that little building has done some uh great things for that part of the county in terms of having a heritage site for them to be able to interpret and bring along a next generation of kids who have been able to come in and see what it was like to go to school in uh 19th century conditions and setup that they provide. And so I, I really just applaud and love those folks that yeah, helped raise the money. And yeah, and they did, they did. It's a beautiful. So, and, and they deeded it over to you? No. Okay. No, so, we, we hold a preservation easement on the building. So, so nothing can happen to that right. building without your okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. And and so I don't want to go too deep into that because that's pretty much weedy stuff. Right. I mean, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but you, uh, there's an easement and they have to, anything that happens to that building has to go through Indiana Landmarks. Correct. Or, okay. So it is protected for yeah. the future. Yeah. So any other projects that you uh, are working on right now that would be of interest? Well, I, one that I would say that is from our past that certainly um, folks here in Hendricks County would know about is the Oasis Diner down in Plainfield. Yeah, right. Um, we dealt for years with the uh, previous owners. We put it on our 10 most endangered list. Uh, we ended up with the owner previous to us. He generously agreed to donate it to us if we would relocate the diner off of its site on US 40 uh, to its current site along US 40 in uh, the downtown area of Plainfield. Correct. And um, so we did accept that. We owned the diner briefly and paid to relocate it to downtown area and then sold it to um, the two guys uh, that uh, own it now and that did an outstanding job restoring it. And it's, I think, an attraction, a draw for downtown Plainfield yeah, now. I think so too, yeah. Uh, in their historic district. And um, I think that it's projects like that that we, you know, so we do everything from, you know, homes from the early 1800s through, you know, mid 20th century structures yeah. like a diner like right. that. So, uh, you know, one of our biggest projects years ago was the West Baden Springs Hotel down in southern Indiana, West Baden, Great French job. Lick. Yeah. Um, that, that was another partnership with the Cooks because ultimately while we owned the building for a number of years, we sold it to an LLC that the Cooks basically control. And they invested... Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars into the Springs Valley and restoring that building and then buying and restoring the French Lick Springs Hotel and then building a casino. And so you went from, you know, Orange County being one of the highest 
in terms of an unemployment Unemployed rate out, right. to being, you know, hundreds like an and hundreds of yeah. jobs added to the Springs yeah. Valley. So that's how historic preservation can have an impact far beyond prettying up a building or, or uh, a structure of some type, but having that kind of economic impact in a community is, is significant. So, um, as of right now, um, what's on your top 10 so, endangered list? Well, it's interesting. I can't reveal this right now because we're in the midst of developing our new one, which will be announced in April of 2020. Um, but one that's on our list right now mm-hmm. that, um, is a little outside of the immediate listening area, perhaps, but uh-huh. uh, up in Pulaski County, which is in kind of in northwest Indiana, um, there is a in in the town of Winnemac. The commissioners had been pondering demolishing their courthouse, and you know we all stopped and said, "Really, in 2019, you're going to demolish a <laughs> historic county courthouse?" I and mean, that just didn't make make sense. Right. And so we. Uh, funded uh, a significant study that looked at different options that they might explore that we hoped one of which was keeping, you know, the existing structure and and how much it would cost to restore it and provided that information to them. And then they deliberated and just earlier this week voted to restore and retain the courthouse. So it's not going to be demolished. And yeah, that was on our 10 Will it be off the list now? It will be off the list. So that we are thrilled we uh, won't have to struggle over again in 2020 they'll hopefully run with it from here and and uh complete the project so that's great well my guest today has been mark delossi he's the vice president of preservation services with the indiana landmarks uh thank you mark for being with uh, me today i do want to thank um make sure we thank duke energy for sponsoring connecting counties for the past year uh it is helpful to have these issues get out. I think we covered some issues that were great o- over the last 12 months, and I want to thank Duke Energy for the sponsorship. Uh, well, this is the uh, last Connecting Counties for the time being. Uh, we are not coming back in 2020, but uh, we did enjoy our time here on uh, WYRZ, and we appreciate everything that uh, Shane did for us. Uh, so, Gus Piercy signing off. Thanks for listening. This has been Connecting Counties with your host, Gus Piercy, presented by Duke Energy. Duke Energy says in the event a customer is unable to pay a past due bill, customer service specialists are available to discuss a customer's situation and provide assistance to meet the customer's specific needs. And customers who have more than 12 months of usage history at their current residence may qualify for one of the billing and payment plans that gives customers the option of levelizing monthly payments. Residential customer service specialists are available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. by calling one 800 521-2232.